This is the Pro AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on Market Scale. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. We're obviously living in uncertain times, and as companies wrestle with what business looks like in the era of COVID-19, we're certainly uh, looking around at the things that we can control, and it's important to find certainty in the areas that you can control. So one of those areas is security, and joining me to talk about that today is Bill Aheimer. He is the Director of Electronic Security Solutions at One Diversified. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. Tyler, it's good to be here with you. Well, Bill, many companies right now are taking time to look at putting continuity and contingency plans in place, which means it's a great time to evaluate their security posture, right? So what areas should they be focusing on and what kind of decisions go into evaluating a security posture for a business? So Tyler, most security professionals and executives that have oversight over security are well aware of the fact that, you know, effective security is accomplished in layers. And the typical layers that organizations look at are entries and exits, high value, high asset areas where we have IT resources such as network closets or the HR area or the finance area. So you have, you know, those emphases that are on everybody's mind. And when they think through the layer component of it, you know, that really starts like an onion out at the perimeter and works its way in throughout the areas of the building, again, specifically focused on high value and high asset areas. So there's kind of a multifold process that makes the most sense within the, you know, the typical rubric of looking at current state versus future state. And I would add that, you know, it's a little bit unique given the fact that we have in today's environment, whole facilities that are either manned in a skeleton fashion or unmanned altogether. So it puts an emphasis on some areas of security that that have been there for a long time, but have not had as heavy of an emphasis as they should or could today. Most people will focus, Tyler, on the perimeter, um, but we have to keep in mind also that 85% of all security breaches, whether they're cyber or physical, are internal. And so a breach could come from someone that's actually authorized or, or has access to the building. So when we look at those layers, uh, we're taking a little bit different approach than just the traditional uh, layered, you know, starting with the perimeter approach scenario. Yeah, you know, and one thing that you just said that that kind of triggered something in my mind that I, I wanna I wanna ask about is just simply that during this this era of coronavirus, where fewer people are in their traditional office setting, there's always the possibility that maybe more remote um, offices become a thing. So fewer people are going to be maybe in and around a facility on a regular basis, meaning that maybe maybe companies that have been just relying on the fact that people are always there, always in the office as a means of security might decrease, right? That there might just in general be fewer people in in an office or in a uh, business facility or in facilities in general moving forward, at least for the time being. So this is this seems to be a prime opportunity for people to think through what security looks like for them, right? Just the, given the current state of things. Well, it really is. And uh, you're on a very key point that any effective security program is not just technology. Um, technology enables process. And for organizations that are strategic users of security, people are a key part of that process, right? 
Uh, it's the extra eyes and ears from people being around. It's the enforcement of policy uh, as a result of people that are there eyes on to see what's occurring. So obviously video surveillance becomes a very key component of that. Um, there are also, and we haven't touched on this yet, applications out there such as Blue Force, which can provide assistance to people that are remote if they still have to travel and don't have contacts uh, that are available that traditionally would be available back at an organization. So it puts a big emphasis on leveraging technology, given the fact that your process, specifically the availability of people, is compromised. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, just as we talk about this, it's it becomes more and more apparent that the needs for particular businesses and for particular companies are going to be different depending on what kind of business they're in, what kind of things they have in their facility, what their facility looks like. And so there's not going to be a one size fits all solution. So how do you take the layers like what you're describing, what you what you mentioned earlier and apply it to different situations and help come up with the best solutions for each particular business? Boy, that's a great uh, that's a great question. So let's take. Uh, you think hospitals are busy today, Tyler? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> so you know, typically when you you know when you look at healthcare and hospital security, the perimeter you could define it. You know, at the edge of the property, but you know, most effectively, it starts uh, you know um, in the in the emergency room or in the entries and exits to the facility. If there's a doctor's parking lot, you might have parking access control into the doctor's parking lot. But what do we have today? We have tents out on the out on the campus grounds. So, you know, we're actually talking with and working with organizations, and it's happening all throughout the country, where they're putting uh, video surveillance in the tents so that individuals can see what's going on inside those tents, both with doctors, nurses, and the patients and the emergency personnel. So... You have scenarios where we're getting temporary power and temporary network connectivity out to the tents and installing cameras and uh, and recording devices in the tents themselves. That's that's a real obvious example is, you know, from one perspective. Another thing is irrespective of what type of facility you have, whether you're commercial property management organization or whether or not you're an institution of higher learning. You just don't have those people uh, and population uh, about and, and, and specifically in, in off hour type scenarios. So it puts an emphasis with executives and personnel being remote on the mobility aspect of video surveillance. It's been out in the industry for many, many years now, and a lot of organizations have implemented it. But there are many, I would say, perhaps even most that have not really embraced uh, the mobile applications for their enterprise video management systems. And that's the ability to look at my video on a smartphone or a smart tablet, right? So that's a key area for folks to look at regardless of what vertical of business that you're in, whether it's finance. And again, they're all working remotely. Those are organizations that are strategic users of security. Your Morgan Stanley's, your AIG's of the world. So from that perspective, it does put a different twist on it. And it puts an emphasis on technologies that, in most cases, can leverage your existing infrastructure with minimal investment. Yeah, I think that that is a, is a key aspect of this, is, is 
leveraging that existing infrastructure and being able to build off of that. So uh, let's get into a little bit more detail about some of the tools that are available to businesses uh, when it comes to security. Uh, you mentioned the, the technology aspect of this earlier. What are some technologies that are available to businesses as they evaluate their, their security postures? Sure. Well, I mean, at the most basic level, everyone's familiar with an alarm system. Many people have them in their homes. I think it's actually 17% of Americans have, you know, an intrusion detection system of some type in their home. So most are familiar with that, the keypad, you know, the glass breaks um, and those types of things. And, and that's a very basic one just to let us know if someone has breached the facility, right? And then, you know, getting a little bit more sophisticated and actually pointing toward the cornerstone of any security program is security card access control. That's our ability to restrict individuals' access um, to areas of the building at specific times. And one key thing that they can look at in that area right now is the provisioning of access control, right? So doing an implementation, don't go through the hard work of really thinking through who is allowed to go where and when. And they tend to what the industry refers to as over-provision. So instead of thinking through whether Tyler or Bill have should have access to that area in great detail, they just provide access for us 24-7. So now's the time to evaluate your access levels and your provisioning. And then, of course, video management. I mean, if you go into any strategic operations command center, the access control system is sitting there working in the background. You might be showing some transactions or they might be showing um, – you know, video verification for an individual accessing, but everyone's watching the video, right? So video management systems um, have become a lot more prevalent. Cameras, our country's addicted to video, to be honest with you, whether it's YouTube or video management systems, they're just constantly expanding. And of course, um, parking lots, we'll talk a little bit more about weapons detection in a little bit, but parking lots are an area that tend to be neglected uh, in a lot of cases, Tyler, it's expensive to get cameras out in parking lots. With increased megapixel technology, we can get better resolution and better imagery throughout, provided we could get a good view of an area. But, you know, with video management systems, you're thinking about, do I need to add and augment my existing camera coverage for areas that typically people would be in or where I feel concerned that I need to have eyes on as to what's going on there? And it can even be something simple. Right. Operational efficiencies are something that we need to be thinking about, given the fact that we have less personnel to deal with and less people on site. Uh, any any good security implementation today also has a view toward operational efficiencies. It could be something as simple as we have a we have a client that's a, a governing agency for accounting. And, uh, you know, they're, they're sending someone in to see if there's any mail sitting out front the door. Well, put a camera there and. Don't put the individual at risk and send them out on site to see if there's mail waiting for them, right? So operational efficiencies can also be achieved through this process. So you've got secured card access, you've got video management, you've got intrusion detection. And then, of course, video analytics can accomplish a lot of things for you, whether it's a museum that's using cameras that create an electronic tripwire um, or whether or not you're just trying to determine if there's motion in an area or some more sophisticated things that cameras can detect these days. So video analytics is a key component as well. Um, it's interesting, Tyler, because 
We've used ground-based radar in the past and, and often in areas that are outdoors uh, to detect intrusion detection and to support things like thermal imaging and those kinds of things to determine if an individual or a group of individuals is intruding into an area on a perimeter that they don't belong. But that's actually come indoors now in organizations like Axis to produce um, the ability to provide radar up to radar detection up to you know 40 meters within an indoor environment. Uh, those can be installed for intrusion detection and as a dual purpose device to, uh, to provide video and intrusion detection. So again, we're always looking to leverage existing infrastructure and find ways in today's environment to get multiple things done with the technology because there's an increasing focus on using security for business intelligence. Uh, individuals and organizations, we have whole implementations that we've done. One large paper company, for example, it's purely operational efficiencies. It's purely uh, doing more with fewer individuals with better information and using that to make business decisions for staffing and, and uh, equipment schedules and those kinds of things. So, so those are kind of the core layers that we're working with today. Yeah, and I, I want to follow up on one of the things that you mentioned, and that was just the the improving of uh, of video technology. Um, it, it, I think most people uh, can say that they've seen you know a cop show or whatever, and they've seen the, the grainy security camera footage and that sort of thing. But how has uh, improving technology really helped uh, maybe improve the quality of some of this video and some of the other tools that you're able to use um, just by virtue of the fact that, that we have more access to better video equipment these days? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question because again, anybody in the industry would know, and, and 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 buyers and end users know that the technology is evolving so fast that uh, usually when you hit the four to six month cycle, the organizations, the leading video surveillance camera organizations, have a new generation, a new model, a better a better digital signal processor, better lensing. So it it really has, you know, for years, Tyler, the the standard is television, right? Um, people want to see the quality of video in their surveillance systems that they see when they turn on their television. And, and today's you know, megapixel technology, uh, especially when you start to talk about higher megapixel resolution, um, you know, in, in the 10 megapixel and up category and 4K and even 8K at this point in time, that is the comparative standard. But, you know, as with everything, there's a trade-off, right? So when you increase your resolution, you also increase your infrastructure costs, specifically on the storage side, bandwidth network, and those kinds of things. So it's a trade-off, and that's, that's where you really look at, you know, do I need to have positive identification? What am I going to use this video for? What's the purpose of the video? And uh, do I just need general area surveillance? Do I need positive identification? Am I going to need to zoom in picture in picture on the video? Uh, but today's, you know, the cost has come down and the resolution has gone up. And that's been the trend for many years now. But uh, we continue to benefit from that. And I think to a large extent, that's what makes it so appealing to a lot of individuals. 
Yeah, absolutely. That that um, like you mentioned, the 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 increased accessibility of of high quality video content, I, I think, does um, does appeal to a lot of people. And uh, earlier, you mentioned weapons detection, and I have to ask and, and get a little bit more detail on what exactly that is and how that works, because I'm I'm incredibly intrigued by uh, by the, the mention of weapons detection. Well, active shooter response is, and uh, I don't consider myself an expert on it. If you talk to the people that actually are experts, they'll tell you that they don't think they are either. Former tier one operators, we have relationships with a number of, of uh, organizations that contain former tier one operators. And, um, and I've learned a lot from them over the years. So there's really two categories, Tyler, for um, mitigating active shooter threat response. There is acoustic gunshot detection, which is very granular. You take organizations like Shooter Detection Systems and Chris Connors and his people. They do, in my opinion, the preeminent job in the industry at that and are fantastic at it. And in that case, you've got a single gang size type device that you just run a CAT6 to. And, and, it's, and it's not unlike putting in Wi-Fi, right? There's a covered zone area. And um, that gives you great breadcrumb type information as to where the shooter was last, right? So you can literally follow the shooter and that provides great response, right? So I'm, if I'm responding, and of course today, uh, first responders in those scenarios, SWAT teams and whatnot, they, um, uh, they just storm the building. Um, they're, they're not so much going in and clearing every room. They're going right to where they believe the threat is. And that, that provides a tool for them to know exactly right where the threat is. There is an interesting evolving technology that we've had a growing relationship with that we're finding a tremendous amount of traction with. And instead of acoustic gunshot detection, uh, that is weapons detection. And that leverages your existing video surveillance system. You do have to have a measured level of quality in that video to be able to detect it. But that's an analytic um, some people would phrase it as artificial intelligence. It's really machine learning um, that's that's evolved into into a higher level or higher order of analytic leveraging video. And in that scenario, you are just identifying the weapon. You are done identifying when a weapon presents itself in the environment. And I mentioned earlier about um, parking lots. So it's it's an interesting FBI statistic, but eighty five percent of all crime in the environments that we seek to mitigate in begins in a parking lot, believe it or not. And what we've learned from working with professionals in this space is that most of the actors in this scenario are not professionals. In other words, they're not professional, um, they're not professional combatants. They tend to spend time in their car or in a parking lot or outside of the perimeter uh, handling their weapon, press checking the weapon, double checking to make sure it's loaded, examining the controls of it. A professional would never do that, right? A professional, a Navy SEAL would not do that. They show up prepared and the game is on, right? They're not sitting in the parking lot thinking about what they're about to do. They've done it a thousand times. So weapons detection, um, zero eyes, for example, uses the phrase that seconds matter. And, and in working with them, what we've determined more and more progressively is that as you focus on the areas in the, in the perimeter or just outside the perimeter, 
you gain a much better chance of seeing the event, anticipating the event, preparing response to the event before the first shot is ever fired. And there's a great emphasis on that today too as well. Actually, the ideal solution would be a combination of both. And uh, Zero Eyes works with a company um, called CPG that provides a military type grid overlay to their, their software head end. And that's just like, it's the bomb, right? Because there you've got responders they're literally pointing them to a grid coordinate to go right where the shooter is. Um, and if you had the combination of both and you were looking at breadcrumbs of where shots were fired, the presence of the weapon and a grid location, you have a full suite response. The one thing about weapons detection, obviously, it's a lower cost investment because it's, it's, you're just augmenting your current coverage with some additional cameras and it's software. So it stands up very quickly. Wow, that's that's really really interesting, and I don't think that entering this conversation, I had any idea about um, the amount of uh, of I suppose incidents that that begin I suppose in a parking lot type facility, right? And uh, maybe that's something that uh, that is surprising to, to other people when they hear it. So from from listening to you talk, it, it really sounds like there are some unique challenges posed by. Um, parking type uh, facilities. Is that something that uh, that maybe deserves more thought and conversation amongst the industry than, than maybe it gets at times? It could be, but it's it's really pretty simplistic. It's, it's trying to look at, you know, where do we need more coverage? Where's our vulnerable areas? Um, if we have surface parking lots, obviously, uh, you know, a parking garage complete, you know, c- comprises a completely different uh, challenge from a lighting standpoint, from a layout standpoint. So it's it's unique in each in each individual case. But you know, if you think in terms of setting a perimeter based off of your ability to respond and looking at those specific areas, which we can do professionally with individuals and you know our partners in this, um, specifically on the weapons detection side, our former tier one operators, Mike and Rob, over at Zero Eyes have you know, have, have spent a significant amount of time downrange and, and, and what better team to have helping you plan through a threat response analysis than former SEALs, right? So we bring them into play in the mix and, uh, and, and usually it's a great interaction and the customer benefits tremendously from, from thinking through some things on the process side and on the technology side that they haven't thought of. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that I, I suppose has to be considered in all of this, and we mentioned it off the top, but I want to come around and, and ask a question more specifically about it, is that this is obviously a, a balancing act for businesses um, because budget is a factor, right? And so you're you're working to find that sweet spot of, okay, uh, what are your key assets? How are you trying to protect them? You know, What are your goals here? And then what's your budget to make this happen? And how can we work together to really find the right combination of technology, of solutions um, that, that help you achieve those security goals. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the great tools that we have specifically with, with Zero Eyes and their tool, and of course, also with shooter detection systems and the leasing options that they have is, is to, you know, have it be uh, whether you want it to be a capital expenditure or an operating expense. In the case of the Zero Eyes product, um, it is software as a service, so it's cloud-based. 
So it's, it's, you'll know specifically what your budget is and you can focus in either of those applications on specific areas and expand, right? It can be a phased approach. So again, you start with, let's take a clinical environment, talking to an organization down South that has, you know, 53 different clinics. And one of their great concerns is the pharmacy area. Why? Because they've had their pharmaceutical stores invaded before from individuals that that need drugs <laughs> or want drugs. So, you know, if, if you think through if you think through the different spaces, I mean higher education in a student union, for example, or in sports facilities, sports and live entertainment is a whole other space that diversified plays very heavily and very strongly into as well. And of course stadiums are 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 uh, vulnerable areas. Airports uh, we don't need to go any further. We know the vulnerability of airports uh, with respect to these types of things. You have this scenario like in the Fort Lauderdale airport that happened just a little while back that uh, SDS and Chris Connors team was involved in as well. So it's really across all spaces and um, uh, you can always take a phased approach. It's that same old time proven methodology of current state versus future state and, uh, and just kind of thinking through, you know, where we need to be. And um, it's really important that, that, that you take a business type approach, Tyler, rather than trying to evaluate specific technologies, right? I, I think that a lot of organizations in my years of experience in the industry um, look at presentations and demonstrations from different vendors, and then what they do is take the best of everything they like from what they've seen and they make that their requirement. And, and really, it's, 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 it's a convoluted way to try to implement technology. That The proper approach is to look at your business requirements and think about it from a business standpoint and then evaluate technologies and organizations that can integrate and implement those solutions um, from the standpoint of how they best support your business processes and your business goals. And that winds up with, with the best outcome from, from a return on investment standpoint. So Bill, the, the trend in technology has been to move away from disparate systems. So how do you accomplish that from a t- technology perspective? <laughs> Great question, Tyler. So as a premier integrator, Diversified works with the best solutions in the industry. And we have those at our disposal you know, the trend in security has been obviously to move away from um, those disparate systems into a more unified solution. And each of the major manufacturers accomplishes that in a different way. Um, and it's most common for, for a manufacturer to obtain procure by uh, another organization, say, for example, an access control vendor to buy a video vendor and then to integrate those solutions. Uh, we've, we've really focused hard on what's known in the industry as a unified solution. And our partner Genetech really did coin that phrase in the industry. Um, and there you have a scenario where you have visitor management, license plate recognition, um, access control, um, video management, uh, that is a solution, by the way, that is the preeminent solution for citywide videos. There, it's all one bucket of code, man. So the integration is as tight as it can possibly be. And it, and it gives a lot of value on the customer side because 
Again, we were talking about that phased approach, current state versus future state. In a scenario like that, um, uh, you have the option to implement the solution as the business need uh, requires and allows. And, and quite frankly, that specific organization has been the leader in the industry with respect to what, what's commonly referred to as the security of security. And as a result, they became the preferred solution for leading cybersecurity organization that we are in the midst of a unified uh, total organization-wide security application for. So in that case, they've looked very closely um, at not just um, what's, what the industry knows as the convergence of physical and logical security, the tie between network security and physical security, but the actual security of security within the security platform, right? So, so who has changed access levels within the application and when did they change them? Uh, so, so there's been an intense focus, not just on the convergence of physical and logical security, but, but how do I know that my security systems and people are actually secure? Absolutely. Well, uh, Bill Ahammer, the Director of Electronic Security Solutions for One Diversify, thank you so much for joining me today and talking a little bit more about security solutions in this time and uh, how people can best be prepared moving forward. Thank you, Tyler. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. For more just like it, make sure you hit subscribe on either iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to come back for more content just like it in the future. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast soon. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.